He said I was from Desperation Church, and if you uh, know anything about us, Andy Heiss, who I think has been here a couple times as our pastor, so you know that I need prayer um, because my job is to keep him straight. Um, so I preach about uh, three times a year which means this is probably the most nerve-wracking thing that I do at this moment. But um, I love that, you know, what's happening in Coleman, and we have three campuses right now, and Coleman and Jasper and Arab, and what's happening in those those cities are because Nelson Hannah poured into um, my pastor. Um, that there were, and then Nelson Hannah poured into me, and then he sat and he took a bunch of young kids who wore red shoes and got laughed at at church because we didn't think the way that everybody else thought, and he took us and he molded us into um, people that could be who we were, but yet still follow the Jesus that people needed to hear. And and so I, I love that, even what he's doing here, and just since the last time I got a chance to, to be here, and I think we were in the shopping center, so I almost drove there this morning, uh, but luckily... I found out before I drove too far, and so we made it. And so it's just a, it's an honor to be here because I feel like for me that Nelson was a spiritual father for me. He took me down and he sat me down, and we we walked through the streets of in Germany when I was I lived there for about six months and did mission work. And I remember asking him questions, and he'd be like, "You're not ready," and I'm like, "Well." I need to be. Can you can you tell me? He's like, ah, oh, you're not ready. And then you know later on he would sit down and says, you remember when I said that you weren't ready? And he's like, now you're ready. And I remember that feeling of when when he would sit down and look, and he would just he would encourage. He and I, I know some of you probably you're here because you realize that that he does care that that his his words mean something. They they have they have substance. He's got change in his pocket that when he says something to you, you can believe it. It's it's the same thing that he poured into to my pastors. The reason why I took my family and moved to Coleman when I didn't know if I was going to have a paycheck. And it's the same thing that when when he walks into a room and we were, we were I guess, three, three years old as a church, and we were still trying to figure out, and we're still trying to figure out how to do church. And, and Andy looks at me and he's like, we're going to go plan another church. And I'm like, we don't know how to do this one. And he's like, it's okay, God. But it's the trust. And that trust came, you know, because... He's he's encouraging, and you watch his life, and you watch their lives, and they they mean what they say, and and so this morning I, I kind of wanted to to fall off of those lines because I, I start to think back and realize that um, where I was, and some of you may have known me before, and I apologize for that. So if you're not listening because of what you knew before, I know Mr. Beard here probably hated us. He was our Sunday school teacher, and uh, we ran off about seven Sunday school teachers, and then we had a few that that stayed with us, and uh, and so. I was glad to see him still in church after being our Sunday school teacher. Um, no, but, you know, there's just something about, I've been, I've been married for eight years. It'll be nine in January, and I've got a, a six-year-old little girl. She'll be seven in December, and she's actually about to do gymnastics, and, and uh, she does a little competition thing in Tuscaloosa and a uh, Roll Tide, and so she's not there for them. She's just there. I just like to get Roll Tide in some way uh, that I can. Um, and I got a little boy, Copeland. He just turned three. And then we had a, an, another little boy, Wilder. So he was born in July. And so uh, we're sleeping a lot. And so this extra hour of sleep was great for us. And so, but anyway, to get started, I, I say all that to say that, you know, when you're around people that encourage you, that speak life into you, 
your life has changed. But for some reason, I think in our society, I think you talked about Facebook. I'm off Facebook. I'm, I'm like 30 days off of Facebook. So it's kind of, I'm trying not to go through. People feel like that they had an opinion. And I know that sounds bad, but it's like we, we live in this culture that we feel like we deserve and we deserve the right to have something to say to tell someone else. But we have no change in our pocket to back it up. We've, we've created systems and structures through social media and through just the way we interact that we just feel like it's our job to let everyone else know when they're doing something wrong without the one piece that that actually can happen, which is it's called a relationship with that person. And so we we have started to be a culture that, and especially in the church, that we're known more for the things that we're against than we are for the things that we're for. We're, we're known more for trying to fix the church down the street than we are making sure that what we're doing in this room is what God God's called us to. And so, but a, a lot of that stuff is because we've forgotten how to honor. We've forgotten what encouragement and honor look like. And so one of the responsibilities uh, at Desperation Church for me is I've taken over our Connect team, which is our serve team. And so we've got about 750 people that serve every week. And so my job is to figure out how to keep them um, moving, how to keep them motivated, how, how to get them up, how to, how to show them that it's, that it's going to be worth it. You know, we want them to, to sit a service and we want them to serve a service. So our goal for every person at Desperation Church is that you will plug in, you will find a, a life-giving way to give your life away because the church is not about sitting and receiving. It's about you've received and so now you're giving your life away. And so that's the culture that we're trying to create. It's super hard. It's not easy. Um, people want their their extra hour. They don't want to give their life away, and that's okay. Um, I think we all have that in us. But one of the things that we're trying to do is what makes people want to give their life away? What makes people um, make Sunday more than just coming, sitting, and then going home? What makes it something that they walk away and they go, number one, I heard from God today, but number two, I made a difference in somebody else. And one of the things that I've been studying is this idea of honor and encouragement. And since we've done that, um, and I'll I'll tell a few stories uh, as we move along, it's something that I've seen a a whole mindset start to change in people's lives, is that their mindset of what they do starts to change in why they do it. So we're not concerned with the job you do. We're, we're concerned with why you're doing that job. And so we have a group of people that their whole job is for hospitality. And we want coffee and we want people standing there encouraging people as they walk through the doors. But my, the, the what they do is that they get there every morning. We had, a, we had a team there at 6 o'clock this morning because we just moved campuses from, um, we, we had a downtown campus where we were having to do five services in Coleman and we moved it to a Civic Center that now we only have to do two services. And so that's a good thing. And so we're, we're super excited about that, but we've had to get there early. We've had to have people get there and set up. So when nothing is in the building, we bring everything in a trailer or in storage. We bring it in there. We set it up. We tear it down as soon as we leave. But I'll be honest, being able to go home and sit with my kids at night instead of doing night services, morning services, and not being able to, to ever have a moment to sit down, it's worth it. I'll get there at five o'clock if I get to go home. And so all that to say, we're trying to constantly build this, this idea of encouragement. And so I, I got to, to realizing that people were tired of just making coffee. 
their, their job, they didn't feel like it was important. They just felt like, well, man, all I do is make coffee. And I started hearing this over and over. They're like, God, you know, I just make coffee. Maybe if I joined another team. And so we started that. And, and finally, I just said, all right, all they're looking at is what they're doing. They're, they're, it's become a job. And so when, when what you do, it's a job. Why you do it is your purpose and your calling. And so I sat down with these four people who are over this team, and I just said, listen, you're making coffee, but why you're doing it is because I know of one story where a guy who had an affair on Saturday night walked in the door, and the cup of coffee was the one thing that allowed him to feel comfortable enough to stay. That's why you do it. And I'm telling you, they step back and they go, okay, I can do this. And it was that one moment of honor and encouragement that changed their mindset, it shifted their mindset, and now they're not just making coffee, now they're creating an experience for someone to come in and experience life, which is we know is Jesus and Jesus alone. So it's not the music, it's not the lights, it's not the coffee, it's only the presence of God, but we have to get people in the door for them to experience the presence of God. We have to create an atmosphere that is attractive to the presence of God. And so you're like, Keith, why are you talking about encouragement? There's, there's tons of stuff. Well, let us see it. The Greek word is parakelio, and it is mentioned 105 times in Scripture. And that word is that same word that he's talking about to encourage, to lift up, to spur on. And we act like that's not deep. Well, we can't talk about encouragement because we're not really getting into the depth of Scripture. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there. If Jesus, and they mentioned, if he mentioned something 105 times, which is more than the majority of things that we spend 10 weeks on in a, in a sermon series, if he spends the, enough time to say this word 105 times, I would say it's probably a good idea for us to take a step back and go, why is this so important? Why is this so important to the body of Christ? Why is this so important that Jesus had to mention this 105 times throughout Scripture? Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, there's a, um, you may have said it was actually, it was a YouTube video that got shared and then it got on, uh, I think it was like 2020 or something like that. But a teacher, his name is Chris Ulmer. He, he teaches a special ed class and he, he sits down every morning with this class and every one of his kids comes up and they stand in front of him and said, before he got there, the, the, the class was just disruptive. It was chaotic. No one wanted to be in there. Probably a lot like Mr. Jim in my Sunday school class. Um, but you should have tried this. Maybe it worked. And so, but he would, he walks into this class and he started and they were like, there's just basically maintain these kids. That's all we're asking. And he said, no, I'm not going to maintain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak life. We're, we're going to figure this thing out. And so every morning he started sitting down with them one at a time, and they will walk up, and he sits in a chair, and they stand in front of him, and he goes, you're a great student. You're athletic. I love the way that you sing. I love your attitude. Thank you for being my class. And then the next one comes up. You're such a good guy. Thanks for being nice. And every morning he sets and he encourages these students who everyone else kind of gave up on. But he said, no, we're not going to give up. I'm just going to start this process. And they say now the class is one of the best classes they have. That even though it's a special 
special education class that those kids are starting to learn. They're starting to grasp concepts that they, they didn't know that they would have. And I really believe it's because he has done something that society has forgotten about, and it's honoring and encouraging. And you see it in Scripture. Let everything you say be good and helpful. My question for you this morning is, how often do you think this way with your words? Is everything that you say... Now, this is not that you have to agree with everything. It's not that you have to be okay with something that you know is wrong. But I think it does point back to are the things that you're saying, because there's a way to say things. There's a way to, to lift people up, even when they're doing something wrong. There's a way to honor that person in the way, um, the way you speak to them, the way you speak life into them. Um, Scott Dawson is a, is a well-known evangelist, just does incredible things with students, and you've probably heard. But when Scott Dawson first got started, he was super overweight, and he, he had a chance to sit down uh, with Billy Graham to go out and eat. And I don't know if you know Billy Graham, but if you get that invitation, um, that's a scary thing in itself. Um, and so they had built a relationship, and so he invited um, Scott Dawson to go sit out and sit down with lunch. And he said, he heard everything he said. He just constantly talked to him, spoke life into him. And he said, but the very end, Scott asked him the question, hey, how, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? He said, Scott, before you reach people, you need to start to work on yourself. And Scott, it's time to start losing some weight. And now here's the thing. If you walk up to somebody outside you don't know and say that, there's a great chance you will get the right hand of fellowship in a way you don't want that to happen. But it's the relationship that it was done in. And can I tell you, Scott Dawson didn't walk away offended. He didn't walk away and say, you know what, I need to give up. He said, you know what, Billy Graham speaks life. And I trust Billy Graham because there was a relationship built there. And because there was enough honor and enough love for Billy Graham and for Scott Dawson, he went and lost 250 pounds. And now his ministry, and I'm not saying he had to lose that weight. I'm just saying there was something there that changed. His mindset changed because he honored him enough to say, I believe in you, but I also see this. So I'm not saying you just have to step back and agree with everyone and we become a church that's okay with all sin. That is not what I'm saying. But at some point, Point, the church has to build some change in their pocket by the way that we treat people and the way that we love people. And it's that change that we built up by, build up by the way that we love people that we then can go speak life into. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Our words have the power to build others up. Our words have the power to give life back to people. Our words have the power to restore hope in the lives of people. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. So that's what I'm saying. There is, a, there is times to actually say what needs to be said. This is not all kumbaya, hold hands and say everything's okay. There's a time to do it. But we urge you, warn those who are late, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, but be patient with everyone. And I think that's the part we we miss. We are ready to go just tell everybody everything, but we're not willing to be patient. We're, we're, We're ready to go just demolish people who think different, but 
but we're not willing to be patient. We're not willing to have conversation. We're not willing to encourage. We're not willing to do what it takes. We're not willing to, to go as Jesus walked down the road and looked at Zacchaeus and knew that Zacchaeus was doing wrong. He knew who Zacchaeus was, but I feel like today's culture would have kicked Zacchaeus out, but Jesus went to Zacchaeus. When Jesus sets at the well, he's, he's looking at this woman who everyone else know, knows that she's doing wrong. She knew she was doing wrong. But he sat there and he loved on her and he talked to her for a little while and he built some change in his pocket and he he was patient with her. And he walked out and he even encouraged her that she had more. There was more to offer. There's, There's life more abundant. And he built a relationship. He encouraged. He honored her. He didn't say, hey, you're a nasty woman and you need to get your life right and then you can come back and talk to me. No, he just was patient with her. He just encouraged her and gave her next steps. He gave her life and how to walk through the situation that she was in. The world we live in is brutal. I'll be honest, it's scary for most people. There are people that, that we talk to. Um, I don't know what, what it looks like for you, but you know, in a, in a world that, that is kind of moving towards just openness to a lot of different ideas, we've had to kind of figure out how we're going to respond. And we've had, um, we've had seven homosexual couples in our, in our church that, that want to come be a part. And I'll be honest, it's been a hard journey to try to figure out how to have that conversation because, you know, what, what they've known is you don't need to come here. But we're trying to say is we want you to come here, but we just don't agree with, with your lifestyle. But the problem is, is that for us, we've got to be across the board with what we don't agree with. We can't just disagree with theirs, but let other people do the things that they want to do. But just because culturally it's more of an issue, we have, so we have to figure out how to have these conversations. And can I tell you, they just want to be loved. I don't saying we have to accept it. I'm saying they just want to be loved. We have to be patient. We have to let our words lift up. We have to figure out ways to walk people out because I'm guessing is that for some reason, most of us have forgotten what God had to break us from, what the cross did in our lives. And we forget the very things that God has pulled us from when we start having conversations with others because we've forgotten what it felt like for people to encourage us, to love on us. I remember, um, you know, Lynn Hurst who sat down with me and he said, stop doing what you're doing. You've got more to live for. I remember constant conversations with Andy Heiss who sat down and says, you have so much potential. You're just being dumb. Stop it. But I trusted him. I, I, he, he built change enough to say those things to encourage me. And even when he had to say the hard thing, he knew how to say it. He knew how to, to build that. Am I making sense? Are we good? You're going to get out early, so it's going to be okay. They were like, hey, you've got an hour. I was like, I don't have four sermons that add up to an hour. So we have an hour service, so I don't even know what to do with all the rest of that time. But we need to start being a church that is known for what we stand for and not we, for what we stand against. We need to quit taking our platform to social media and start taking it to people. We need to start taking our chance to tell someone how they're doing wrong and start telling them the things that they're doing right so that we can get to the things that they're doing wrong. There's a generation of, of 18 to 25-year-olds that will never fet, step foot in a church, and it's because the church has become something that wants to fix them before they allow them to ever step foot inside the doors. And it's wrong. It's not who God was. There are some things that I find interesting about the word encourage. The word encourage and discourage both have the word courage in them. 
the prefix E-N-N, it means to cause to be. When I see this, I think that as we encourage others, we cause them to be courageous. Or the things that you say to people, or the way you treat people, or the way you serve people, are you causing them to be courageous in their life? Are they struggling? Are they hurting? Are they in pain? Are they living with stuff that they've tried to walk out of? They just don't know. We deal with addicts all the time, and they're sitting in there, and they just want somebody to encourage them not to keep doing what they're doing, but to encourage them that they're is a way out. There is another side, but we have to encourage them and tell them you have more, you have a purpose, you have a calling. And I understand that what you're doing in this moment is stopping you from that, but we're going to help you walk out. But let me help you do it. Let me walk hand in hand with you. Let me in to cause to be, to cause courage in your life. But the prefix dis, it means the opposite of or to deprive of. So when we discourage others, we deprive them of courage. When we are constantly negative, when we always find fault, when we always find the things that other people do wrong, or or maybe it's someone that's a a close friend or something, and you can never find a positive thing. And and I believe me, I I was one of those people. I, I always, I thought it was a good thing that I could find things wrong. But what I was doing is that, as I was finding those things wrong, I was actually causing people to not live out who God had called them to be because I wasn't telling them the things that I saw in their life that God was actually using. And we, we pick apart people and we actually cause them to not be courageous, which puts them into more of the bondage that the church is there to help them walk out of. So I think there are three ways that I want to kind of walk through today. And number one is... We've got to start in our own church. We've got to encourage, number one, is encourage believers. To truly live out Jesus in the world is to truly live out Christianity like God had called us to. It takes a lot of courage because, honestly, you have to step out of of the religious mindset of the way maybe the things that you've been taught are this is why we do it, so it's because we've always done it. But no, we, we do it because it's what God's called us to. And we do it in the calling and the presence of God. Then it's done in the right motives. It's done in the right mindset. It's done, and it will start to encourage. It will start to cause people to be believers. We don't. One of the things that I love is we've started a college, and, and we're not looking at them saying, when you finish this four-year degree, then you'll be ready to step on the stage. We're saying, no, prepare your heart now. Humble yourself before. God and he'll put you on the stage whenever it's he's ready. It doesn't matter if you're seven or 70, if it's done through the right motives, it's done through the encouragement of building people up and who God's called them to be. The stage does not need a piece of paper on the wall to say you're ready. The stage needs a sample of approval from the Holy Spirit to say it's that's my child and it's his time. It's her time. We encourage believers. There are so many who go to church and call themselves Christians, but they hide But they hide their Christianity in public because it takes courage to live out Jesus. But God has called you to encourage everyone, but especially those who are around you, who are in the church. I think that is why it's so important to be a part of a church, to go to church regularly, because we encourage each other while we are here. 
This should be a time where you don't just come in and sit, but you find relationships that you build in. You, you, you need help. You ask for help. This should be a family. One of our slogans is, is welcome home. And we don't say that because it sounds good. We say it because we want this to be a home. When, you, when you're in a home, you walk into my house. I've prepared that house perfectly so that you can walk in. You can feel comfortable. I have everything laid out. There's not stuff everywhere. I want it to be a place to where you come in and you feel welcome. And then, then as we sit at a table, we don't just sit at each end and say, hey, hope the food's good. Talk to you when it's over. But we start to engage each other. We ask what's going on. We build a relationship. That is what the church should look like. But does it? I think that's super important for small groups. We believe small groups is a huge piece of it. It's like, well, it's not Sunday school. You're right. It's not Sunday school, but it's another part of it. Again, it's all through the mindset of we're not looking at it. If, if small groups is, is what brings people together, then let's be for small groups. Let's not be, just say that we're against it because it's not something that we've, we've always done. Let's find the positive. So if it's moving to the name of small group, let's figure out how small groups can function the best way. Let's be a church that's known more for what we are for than what we are against. So if we're against it, then no one's ever even going to care. But if we start to be for it, even if we have uh, you know reservations about it, we can start to engage and let's become the church that's for something to build up, to give it purpose, to give it hope, because Jesus is looking for you to be in that group so that you can pour life into others. And when the young couple or the young student walks in the door, then you're somebody who has built your life on Jesus and the wisdom that overflows out of your heart is for them. And guess what? We become the church. We do what we were intended to do. Hebrews 10, 25, and says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. Spur one another on because believers need to be encouraged. And can I say this? If you, if you can hear anything, man, I'm proud of you. I'm proud that, that you've, you've started to build a church on a foundation that is Jesus. I'm proud that, that you're a church that is built on prayer. I'm, found, I'm proud that, that you're a church that, that loves the community. I'm proud that, that most churches, when they're kicked out of a building, will either just fold up and die, but you've found what needs to be next. You've you followed your pastor, and you haven't let tradition build like, well, if we're just going to keep moving, I'm, no, you've fought. You've started to fight. You've figured out how to say the, the calling is more important than my comfort. The purpose that we have as the church is more important than just having a name on the side of the building, because if we are the church, it doesn't matter the building. If we're encouraging each other, up. It should not be that this building is what calls us the church. It should be that we are known outside of these four walls are the seven. I'm not sure how this thing is laid out, but as that, as that, that's the church, that you are the church, that I am the church. And it's the way we treat people. We love people. We honor people, even if we disagree. The one thing that I've noticed about church is a lot of times it's more discouraging than encouraging. We're critical and we're negative and we're self-righteous and we know it all because we've seen it all. But we miss the real Jesus. We're so caught up in the religious mindset that we're missing Jesus. Who did Jesus speak against mostly in Scripture? It was the religious people. It was the people that are only concerned with the rules and the way they've always done it. But the very people that wrote the rules that said that this is it are the very people that miss the Messiah. 
is I don't want to be a church that misses Jesus. I don't want to be a church that says we're comfortable and we enjoy it and we have a lot of people, but man, I can't tell you the last time I experienced the presence of God. And I know that's not you because I know the heartbeat of your pastor. I know the heartbeat of my friend that is he's passionate about the presence of God. Don't miss it. Encourage him. Can I tell you, I used to sit and just demolish some of the leaders that I worked under because I thought I knew a better way because I was young and I like wearing different shoes and we wore skinny jeans and we felt like everyone should become like us. And can I tell you that both generations were wrong? That the young generation trying to change the, the, the way that it's always been done was just as wrong as the, the older generation trying to say that it can never change. We're, we're both wrong. We should have found a, a middle a lot earlier and said that we, we don't really care how it gets done as long as Jesus is lifted up. And, and, and I remember having those conversations, but now being in the position of the very people that I felt like didn't know what they were doing, I look back and I, I'm, I'm like, wait a second. Now I know. Now I know why they were depressed. Now I know why they were in pain. Now I know why that it was a struggle for them to want to get to work or even really to start loving people because it was so, the weight of ministry is so hard. And can I encourage you that while your pastor is not here and he didn't ask me to say this, encourage your pastor. Love your pastor. It's lonely. It's, it's lonely in ministry because you, there's, you, you feel like everyone's trying to fix you or tell you how to do something. And, and, and believe me, you know, because we hear it, you know, we, we're a cult. We do all kinds of crazy stuff. And like, you never even step foot in the church, you know, and you want to fight back. And then you try to encourage them and love them to not come. Um, I'm just kidding. So we encourage believers, but I want to hit point two and I want to encourage, start to encourage unbelievers and I want you to start changing your mindset to not feel like people have to be right before you start accepting them. To feel like we have to fix their problems before we allow them into this house, this home. To where if they, if we can just get them right, then God can use them. But I feel like we're missing a lot of people. We are walking over the wounded to try to get to the less wounded because it's easier to deal with those people than it is the ones that are, are laying on the ground. That's not who Jesus was. Those are actually the people that Jesus went after. What's... What's crazy to me is a lot of times I really feel like that Jesus would have passed me to get to somebody else. But in my mind, I'm doing it right. In my mind, I've got this thing together. But when I look down is that he always went after people that were hurting. He always went after the people that didn't have it together. He always went after the people that actually got him called names. You know, Jesus was called a drunk. He was called, uh, you know, he, he, he was... He had all of these name tags, and it wasn't because he did those things. It was just the people that he was around. Those are the people that he invested in. And for some reason, when, when we get that, when we get freedom as the church, we accept the forgiveness of the cross. We, we're in here singing Jesus Messiah. We forgot that we were the one that needed him. And we want him to meet with us, but we forgot that we were the one that was destined for eternity without him. And it was only through the cross that drew us closer to Him. There's nothing that we could do to obtain that. 
It was only through Jesus. And so it's time for us to start taking notice in the people around us that may not look like you, act like you, dress like you, or think like you. But here's the thing. They need to be loved. You don't have to agree. You don't even have to agree and say, we're just gonna, we're, you don't have to do the things they do. But we always love. We always encourage. This, two weeks ago, I was standing outside and trying to get kind of everything ready and make sure people are, are in their place. And about six months ago, a couple walked in the door and it was, it was just one of those that, that you knew everything wasn't right. I mean, you just sat there and you, you kind of take a deep breath and you, you, you know kind of where the conversation is about to go. And they both sat and looked at us and, and actually I asked him if I could say it so it's nothing, anything of saying that something that he wouldn't approve of. But I, I remember both of them just bloodshot eyes, smelled just everything about it. Just You, you just wanted to just kind of take another step and walk away. I'll just be honest. And I remember sitting there talking to them and they were talking about that they had both been strung out and just... They'd lost three kids to the system and they really didn't have anywhere else to go and could, could they sit in the church that night. And I remember saying, yeah, you know, that's fine. Here, sit here. And, and every week they would come back. And every week there was a little more life, just a little more conversation, still the same kind of everything going on, still just trying to, to walk out. We were trying to find them different pieces of help and ended up getting them some help. And, and I remember them coming back saying what all that, what all that had happened. We gave them a Bible and it never had a Bible and we're in the South. Well, surprise, there are people that are around you every day that have never read the word. We've got a lady that owns a coffee shop that her and her husband never even seen a Bible. And uh, I remember just watching there, and then he would come, but she wouldn't. And, and so I started asking kind of what was going on, and she was just, she was having a hard time. His, his, he had kind of made a very good transition. Everything was moving forward. I mean, we were just trying to pour into him, pour into him. And she was just struggling to make that, that call. And so she would kind of show up every now and then, and we would just love on her and try our best to give it. And there was about three months that they quit coming. And we couldn't really get in touch with them, honestly. And, and I know this is this is this is to be truthful. When when there's 1,200 people, it's it's easy to miss two people, and we missed them. I, I didn't see them for a couple of months and didn't even notice that that they were gone because we had made the move and everything was kind of kind of in transition. And and the other day, two weeks ago, he walks up and I see him coming, and I just you get that feeling. You're excited that you see him again, and I. I'm waving at him like, Michael, man, I'm glad you're here. And he just lost it. I was like, man, it's okay. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, we're just glad you're back. And he just stopped and he said, no. My wife OD'd last night and she's dead. And I don't cry, but I am now. hate that video camera. Um, And I just looked at him. I didn't know what to say. 
And then he said it. And this is what caused me to kind of move towards this. He said, you know, I didn't know where else to go. We have no one in our lives that care about us or accept us. But I knew that if I came here, that it would be okay. And he said, I know I hadn't been here in a while. But is there anyone here that can just sit with me? And there was two other guys in the parking lot that both just took him and walked him inside. And, And can I say we rallied our team together that morning. And that's why we do what we do. That's why you're here. It's why you should be here. You're here for just another message. This is one you'll forget. Because I'm not versed in speaking a lot. I don't I never was the guy that wanted to be a pastor, but what I did want to do is I want to make a difference. I want to do whatever it takes to, to help people find what life is really about. And if you ask yourself the question that if Michael would have showed up to your doorstep, strung out and is it in your nature at this moment, is it in your mindset to love that kind of person? Because it wasn't in mine in the beginning. Honestly, it probably changed each week they came, depending on the scenario and the life that I was, the, just the busyness of life and kids and marriage and all of those things. But, but I'm telling you that when someone walks up and says that your wife died the night before and the only place that they knew to go, that they'd ever been loved, was that church. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. And are the words that you're saying, is the life that you're giving, is the, the things that you're speaking into people, it may not work the first time. It may not work the second time. It may not work, period. But at some point, I want to be known for the person that has lost everything that they've hit right bottom and their marriage is falling apart and their kids are not coming back home and they don't know what to do. We need to be known as the people of God who care about people no matter what circumstance they're in. We encourage the unbeliever. Then number three, we encourage those closest to you. I think one of the the biggest confessions that I have is that I can do this at the church, but I forget to do it at home. I do it all around me. My wife says all the time, she's like, I wish, you know, you would, you would talk to me sometimes like you, you know, when you're counseling people, like I wish, like you don't talk to me like that. And I'll be honest, that's a shot. But when she said it, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. That should not be how this thing works. It should start at home. It should start at home. It should start with the ones that I'm with each and every day. It should start with uh, three kids. And we, at one point, we had two foster kids, or newborns, and so we had like 42 people in our house, and we didn't know what to do. And I, I remember going, oh, this is a terrible idea. Um, and what's crazy is that even those newborns couldn't understand what we were saying to them. We felt like it was our responsibility to just pray over them and speak life even into them as a, as, a, as a baby, as a newborn. Because we may be the only one that prays over them. But when we start to live a life of honor and encouragement, when we start to live this life that Jesus says 105 times in Scripture, it doesn't matter the age or the issue. 
you have an opportunity to be the life that someone needs to hear, the Jesus that someone needs to hear. So what about your spouse? When's the last time you told them the things they did great? I see some of the wives like elbowing your husbands like, chill out, it's going to be okay. Does your, does your spouse know you more for telling them the things that they do wrong or the things that they do right? Do, you, do your kids hear you just tell them that you love them without needing them to go get a glass of tea for you while you're sitting on the couch watching football? I did it last night. also told her she was beautiful while she was doing it. So, <laughs> I really believe that you'll start to have a stronger marriage, a stronger relationship with your kids if you constantly are telling your spouse the things that you're doing right. Many think they will get more out of their spouse if they speak words of death and tell them their things, but it's actually completely backwards. When you speak words of death into your spouse, it produces death in your marriage. If you speak words of of death into your kids, it'll bring death into your relationship with your kids. So why not try something different? What if that changed? What What if instead of being parents who feel like it's our job to get our kids to be the next professional athlete by the age of seven for travel ball, we just said, I'm just proud of you. Because I'll be honest, and you've heard it a thousand times, but now that when you, when you have a kid, it changes, is I want to be the person that tells my daughter what is beautiful about her. And some of us are missing that opportunity. By the way, if y'all ever have a diaper wife, I've got three kids, so I need food, cans, and diapers, so we don't get to do that. So I'm going to come here if we have any more. <laughs> Proverbs 18.21, and then we'll close. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's choose to give life and not death. Let's encourage people that it produces the power of life. We encourage them with Jesus. We encourage them with the things that we see. Let's stop finding the dirt in people and let's start finding the gold. Let's be treasure hunters in people's lives. Let's be gold diggers. I watched a show on TLC a while back and it's something gold, something about gold. You may have seen it. And These guys go out. They spend millions of dollars on land that they honestly don't even know if anything's there, but they do some, some tests and And here's what I didn't see, which is what I feel like I know for me. So this is the personal thing that I've done for a long time. And I'm I'm guessing that and from what I see is just I think it's I think the church is moving in an incredible way. But I think there's too many of us that go out to a huge field and we take a shovel and a pick and we just start kind of hitting it around and we go up. No gold. Let's move to the next one. And then we go to another spot. And if we don't find it or it's hard, or if someone does something wrong to us, or if we're offended, we'll shovel around for a minute, and then we'll just kind of walk away and we're done. But what I saw these guys do is they spend millions of dollars on equipment that's needed to start scraping every layer of dirt that they can find. And they continue to scrape, and they continue to scrape, and they continue to scrape, and then they find a little speck And that little speck gives them that rush. They get excited about finding that speck. And they keep digging, and they keep digging, and they keep digging. And I want to be known as the church that digs into people's lives to find the good. I want to look at Michael 
when he's strung out and things are going wrong and be the one that digs past every layer of nastiness and every layer of what someone else had told him. And I want to keep digging and then I want to find the gold because guess what? We got to baptize Michael. Michael gave his life to the Lord. And we got to show him what life was really about. It's because we dig and we dig. And when someone walks in and they've messed up and their life has fallen apart, we don't look at them and tell them that, I can't believe you did this. We start digging and we get out every piece of, of machinery that we can get, get and we keep digging and we keep digging and we keep digging. And then when we find that one little speck of gold in their life, we tell them about it and we tell them how great they are and we tell them that it's going to be okay because we can start to walk with you and there's this man named Jesus and we start pouring life in them. We tell them that that, we're, that it's okay, but, but a man or a woman doesn't give you um, what life is really about. It's only through a relationship with Jesus, and we keep digging, and we keep digging. And my question is, are you willing to put forth the effort to dig? Will you be known as a church that digs in people's lives and finds the good, encourages them to be who God's called them to be? Because guess what? Somebody did that for you. It may have been a person it may have been a, a spouse. It may have been a mom or a dad or a grandmother. It may have been a friend. Hey, it may have been just the fact that there was one night you were sitting at home and you felt alone and didn't know what else to do and you heard that one still small voice that spoke into you and said, there's so much more to life than this. But someone dug into your life. Someone poured into you. Someone gave you the things and the resources you need to walk out of what you thought life was about and walk into Jesus. Will you be that person? Let's be gold diggers in people's lives. Let's be the ones that, that changes what the church is for and not just what they're against. Let's just be the church. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I just, just kind of as we end, I just... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.